0: Amen, amen, and good morning, and welcome to Harvest, and uh, whether this is your first time here or whether you've been here many times, you're family, and we're so thankful that you're here, and whether you're here in person or online, we're excited to dive into God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 24 today as we continue the Heart of the Matter series. If you want to get a head start there, that would be awesome, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back, um, and we would love to get one for you, and so um, whatever uh, we would love to ha- allow you to have God's Word if you don't have one of your own, and take that and use it. We're also going to have communion at the end of the service, and so if there should be some at your seats. If there are not, um, go ahead and uh, look around. There should be some at the seats around you. We're going to use these cups later, and if you're at home joining us, just grab whatever you have near you, whether it be a cup, uh, cracker or a cookie or some juice, as we're going to celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross um, later on. And there's some more cups in the back if you need some. But we're so thankful for the work of God and the generosity of God, and it's good to be back with you. Missed you guys last week as we were in the Dominican Republic, but I just want to say publicly just thank you so much to Pastor Andrew, to our elders, to our staff, to our church family who led so well um, in my absence. And This church is way bigger than any one of us. Amen. And it's all about Jesus Christ. And we want you to know that you're very loved. And uh, Chris and Rhoda, we want you to know that you guys are very loved in your family. And so we love you guys and are continuing to pray for you And um, as God continues to move and, and work. And I just want to thank you guys for praying for um, our trip to the Dominican Republic. God moved powerfully and profoundly. Thank you for praying for Josh, for Russell, for Jeff, and for myself. And he moved in supernatural ways that are really hard to describe, but we will try over the coming weeks. And if you if you want to know more, uh, we would love to talk with you. So Russell's here, and, and Jeff and Josh are not here this morning, but I would love to talk with you. Joe, Russell would love to talk with you. And we're going to share a little bit this morning, but we're also looking forward to what we're going to call a summer celebration prayer and praise night at the end of this summer, where we're going to look back and reflect and celebrate what God has done, not just in the DR trip, uh, but hopefully in, in Harvest Kids Camp coming up. And so pray for that this week. I really believe that God wants to transform lives and families through the power of the gospel this week. So let's just be praying that and covering over that in prayer. Um, but I, this summer in our, at the DR, I know many of you are asking, so sharing a little bit about that. One of the things that we got to do is partner with a school that we long partner with to refurbish desks at a Christian school in Hacagua in the greater Santiago Dominican area. We did our, uh, encourage pastors. We got to do a prayer walk in an area for a new church plant that we prayed on the street corner, and I believe that there will be new church plant there within the next few months, if not years. And that's what we do. We, we support planting churches for the glory of God to see lives changed, tra- families transformed, and communities altered through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our church supports that financially, and obviously in going, and in other ways. And we had the privilege of helping to lead a seminar on disciple-making, the Great Commission, and church planting. And uh, God moved. We worked in two different, um, we preached and I preached in two different churches last week. And I know I had challenged you and asked you as a church family to not only help us support the trip, but above and beyond that to provide at least $2,000 so we could generously give an advanced mission down there in the churches. Can I tell you that God did even more than that? That he, through your generosity, provided over $3,500 above and beyond the cost of the trip that we were able to gift, to steward, to help strengthen churches down there. So thank you. Thanks. Praise God. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome, right? We want uh, God loves it, a cheerful giver, so thank you. We believe that generous hearts fuel uh, just increased opportunities for the gospel spread. So we want to continue to grow in our generosity, not just in our tithes and offerings, which we do, but also as God strategically allows and aligns with strategic opportunities. I don't want you just to take my words for it, though. I, hear, I want you to hear from our beloved, uh, just really gospel partner there, as a central gospel partner, Pastor Groomer and his wife, Mari, about what this trip meant to them and as an encouragement to you guys, because it wasn't just about the four of us. This is how God is moving our entire church, not just now, but into the future. So if you would, watch this video with me and see how God worked.
1: Uh, Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. How are you? Reendía es, es mi esposa mari this is my wife mari un equipo que ha estado con nosotros <laughs> que uh, ha estado batallando conmigo por más de 30 años she's uh, a teammate that's been battling with me for more than 30 years entre noviazgo y estar casado uh, between uh, being a uh, boyfriend and girlfriend and then marriage dios nos ha unido con un propósito and God has United us for a purpose gracias por la oportunidad de ustedes unirse con nosotros aquí en la República dominicana thank you for the opportunity opportunity to be able to uh, partner with you here in the Dominican Republic. Ha sido una bendición extraordinaria. It has been a wonderful blessing. No tenemos mucho tiempo. We don't have a lot of time. Pero queremos comunicarles la bendición que ha sido. La conferencia. Uh, but we want to share with you the blessing that this conference el, has been. The privilege uh, that you've given us in being able to host these four men. Sé que para ustedes ha sido un sacrificio grande. I know that for you, it's been a great sacrifice. Pero Dios les but God will reward you. El, el, la conferencia fue uh, the conference was extraordinary. Podemos clasificar la conferencia en tres categorías. Uh, we can classify the conference in three different categories. Fue un impacto. An impact. Un desafío. Was a challenge. Fue una manera de unificar Las demás iglesias para un solo propósito. And it was a, a great way to unify all of the churches and a common purpose. Y todo esto es con el propósito de la de sembrar una nueva obra. And all of this is with the pur- purpose of planting a new work. Pero desafiándonos también a solidificar la obra local. But at the same time challenging us to solidify the local church. A través del discipulado. Through, dis- through discipleship. Y la reproducción continua. And. And a continual reproduction. Entonces, ha sido una gran bendición. So it's been a great blessing. Mientras ustedes se sacrifican, While you sacrifice, nosotros somos bendecidos. we are blessed. Cuando ustedes reciben este, este video, when you receive this video, ustedes también van a ser bendecidos. you too will be blessed. Entonces, una de doble lado. So it's a, it's, a, it's a double blessing. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you very much. And God bless you.
0: Amen. And God is at work and uh, in big ways. You'll see a picture behind me on the screen of just some of the attendees of the pastor's conference. And, um, and I just, again, just want to say thank you. Um, so there are about 50 representatives from seven or eight different churches that we partner with and network there that have come out of that conference with a heart and passion to plant churches and uh, make disciples. And so we are super excited for all that God is doing. And God is moving in big ways. Um, it's an answer to prayer. Uh, the missionary there, Dan Woodring, who was is, who is, who is talking, just said, hey, thank you so much for the spark that I've been praying for for four years. And, um, and so it's just not in a, in a moment, a movement is mobilized. And one of the other local, leading pastors here who is high, of high influence said this, I praise God for today's conference because we were challenged as leaders to produce the fruit that pleases God, not the fruit that we were looking for. Praise God for the challenge to fulfill the Great Commission and for this conference reminding us of the characteristics of the leaders that God is looking for. Thanks to Pastor Dan and all the other uh, team members that accompanied him and those who are all coordinated. God was glorified on this day. Amen. So God is working in a big way, and I just want to ask you for a specific prayer. I want you to know that he's already working, um, and they are mobilized. So tomorrow, we, one of the things that we did a week ago was we stood on a street corner in a barrio in a neighborhood called my Mayor and prayed that God would plant a church. We then met in a small group, which we're praying would become a core group, uh, where multiple churches would partner together to plant a new work so that people would come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But that, that house was overflowing, wasn't it, Russell? There wasn't enough room there across the street. They were packed out, and they're like, we don't. one of the prayer requests on the ride home from Pastor Groomer we don't have a place to meet. I got a message yesterday that one of the, one of the men, leading men in the core group said, I have an eye on my location, a block from where we played in the street to plant a church. And they're meeting tomorrow. That would hold 80 people. So pray with us tomorrow that God would get, bring favor on this negotiation for a reasonable price and that a church will be planted in Jadomayor in Santiago. God's doing it. And we're so excited about the work that God is doing. And I, I, it's going to continue on here for Kids Camp this week. So let's just continue to be praying in a big way. Well, part of what we talked about at the the conference last week was what is a disciple? And and Jeff Gottlieb did a great job walking us through that. And at at its core, a a disciple is an apprentice, right? It's a follower of Jesus who wants to become like Jesus. God doesn't just want us to be believers. He doesn't just want us to be converts. He calls us to be disciples, does he not? All throughout his word. And so we're going to see today, what does it look like to be a disciple? What are declarations of our heart and our life from the life of, of David of what it means to live like Jesus when life is hard? And and having a refusal to cut corners in our spiritual growth process, even when on the surface level it might look like a keen opportunity to take a shorter path, maybe compromise on some areas of integrity or biblical areas. But how God calls us to a higher calling, how He calls us to live with conviction in every single circumstance, to allow God's word to be our truth and to trust Him with the rest, to never cut corners. Look, following Jesus is not easy. Jesus did not call us to, a whole, to an easy life, did he? He called us and said, count the cost before you follow me, because life will be hard. People will hate you. They will oppose you. They will reject you. But this is the way to find and experience the true joy and happiness that you were created for. There is no other way but through Jesus. But this is not about health and wealth. This is not about prosperity because you might not have a whole lot of that in this earth as we follow Jesus. It's about the eternal reality and the beauty of our sanctification to grow to be more like God and to experience the joy of God as we live for God. It's not easy to live for God at work, is it? It's not easy in this culture of compromise, in this culture of pressure to stand for God's word. When your family or you're, you're someone, someone that you care about opposes you, it's not easy to not cut corners. It's a lot easier to compromise, is it? We're going to see David in one of those situations today, but the reality is as easy as a facade, because when we choose the easy way, it doesn't, just, it doesn't last, and it destroys us, and it ultimately will bind us. May we choose today to live for Jesus, just like Lito's ma- makes their pizza by never cutting corners, amen? Here's the big idea, that God's way is rarely the easy way, but it's always the best way and the right way. God's way is rarely the easy way, but it's always the right way and always, always, always the best way. As disciples, we are never called to pursue the easy way. We are called to pursue God's way, to follow the model that Jesus has laid out for us. Did Jesus choose the easy way? Nope. He chose the cross. He chose to follow God when it got hard. He chose to follow God when he was unjustly ridiculed. He chose to follow God when it cost him not just something, but everything. And our calling is to do the exact same thing. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege and, and the opportunity to be called your sons and your daughters. I thank you for however we walked in here with in the hardness of life and the reality of the difficulty of everyday adversity that we face that there is beauty and that there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ because there is victory in and through Jesus. Father, I just pray that we would cling to the cross today as opposed to looking to cut corners. God, as we walk through grief, as we walk through hardship, as we walk through broken relationships, as we walk through hurts of the past and uncertainties of the future, God, as we walk through our battle daily with our own flesh, God, I pray that we would die to ourselves, and that we would choose to live in and through you. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the hope, Jesus Christ. There is no way other than the Father, but through you. And in these next few moments, I pray that we would choose with a heart of conviction, with a heart of joy, God, to commit our lives to you as we see David doing that. We see in the reality of the life of David that we are not perfect, that we mess up, that we fall short. Sometimes we do cut corners, but your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient. Move us to conviction and repentance and cleanse us from our unrighteousness, God. Make us more like you, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to First Samuel chapter 24. We're going to look at three declarations of a disciple of what it looks like in everyday realities of life to not cut corners to be people after God's own heart. That's really the emphasis of the entire book of 1 Samuel, that God is searching for people after his own heart. He removed the kingship from Saul because he was not a person after God's own heart, as we saw several chapters earlier, because he chose to live in disobedience as opposed to submission and obedience. He chose to give and ordain David to be the next king because he was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't mean that David's perfect. David's far from perfect, but he was pursuing it's not about being perfect. It's about the pursuit of perfection. It's about the pursuit of not perfection on earth, but the earthly perfection of Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting here going, man, I fall short, well, welcome to the club. We all do. We're gonna see David fall short in this text right here. It's not about falling short. It's about who you're following. It's about when you fall short, are you quick to repent? Are you quick to confess? Are you quick to allow the grace of God to cover you and get back on the pursuit, the journey of becoming more like Jesus Christ. These are uh, the declarations of a disciple Our heart level daily declarations that dictate, drive, and determine our daily decisions, our thoughts, the thoughts we make, how we spend our money, the words that we say, how we interact with others. And may they are all called to model after Jesus. So the first declaration of a disciple we're gonna look at today and we're gonna see it in the text is this, is I will listen to the words of Christ over the words of the crowd I pray that at the end of the message today, the end of this, this reality from the truth, that we would declare these ourselves. I will listen. I will follow. I will obey the words of Christ over the words of the crowd. Look with me at the first seven verses of chapter 24, First Samuel. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi." And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And now, now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of this cave, and the men of David said to him, here is a day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And then David arose, and he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and he left the cave and he went on his way. So the first declaration of a disciple is again, I will... Listen, I will follow, I will obey the words of Christ over the words of the crowd. There's no cutting corners when it comes to following Christ. And thank you, Pastor Andrew, so much for leading us so faithfully through 1 Samuel chapter 23 last week. So thankful for Pastor Andrew and Veronica and their family, amen? They're such a gift to our church and to me and Anne. And what we saw last week is that Saul is continuing to pursue David. David's life from now until the end of the book of 1 Samuel is a life on the run. It's a journey. And Saul is continuing to fight him and pursue him. And he's in a hot pursuit until he gets caught off the manhunt to go back to say, hey, the Philistines are they're fighting over here. So Saul left to go fight the Philistines, but now he's back pursuing David. We see that David runs to the strongholds of Engedi, this text teaches us. The word in Gedi means a spring of, of the kid. It's, it lies west of the Dead Sea. It is a series of waterfalls, and you'll see the picture behind me of what one of them looks like in En If you go to Israel, you'll probably end up here. Isn't that beautiful? Now, isn't it amazing that even when we are run, on the run, as people are attacking us and chasing us, that God provides us an oasis to rest amidst the trials and the struggles of life? And this is reality, but it's also a metaphor to the beautiful everyday stuff that we walk through, that God is our shelter, that he is our living water, that when we drink of him, we don't need to be thirsty of anything else in this world anymore because he satisfies, he is sufficient, that as we feel like we are on the run from people or situations and our sin in our lives or our own flesh, and I don't know what you feel like you're on the run from today, but you can probably relate to David. David. That there is a refuge, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is a strong tower. The, the righteous can run into it and find their safety and security, no matter what the external circumstances around you are. Amen. We can trust in that reality. So Saul's on the manhunt again, and, but verse 3 humanizes him. The, the Bible has a way of doing that, right? Because Saul, he was on the manhunt, but he had to go into a cave to relieve himself. Now, the Bible doesn't mince words, it's in there for a purpose. Even a king had to use a bathroom. Praise God, amen? Like, he's a real guy. But he wanders into a cave unbeknownst to him that hidden deeper in that cave was David and his 600 men. Saul had brought 3,000 men with him, five times the amount that David had because, well, Saul was afraid of David. But here we find Saul in a vulnerable position that we can only file in in the awkward bathroom encounter scenarios, right? And we all probably have some awkward bathroom encounters in our own life, right? Now, now's not the time to share them, but we all have them, so we can all relate in this way. But we see in the beautiful reality of this text that God can and God will you work in any and every situation for his glory, even when we least expect it. So never let your guard down and always watch your back in the bathroom, right? So you can imagine how David's men here in verse 4 find themselves. They're back in the cave. They're they're hypersensitive. They're on watch. They've been on the run for a while. They've been away from their family for a while. They're exhausted. They're worn out. They're still going, why is Saul pursuing us? This makes no sense. We didn't do anything wrong. All we've been doing is following the Lord and trying our best to do that. But put yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine this conversation that might be happening? Or I would imagine this probably is happening. They see this person wondering, what's that noise? Hey, wait, somebody's up there. who who is it? No way. It couldn't be. It is. It's Saul. And he doesn't have his entourage. He doesn't have his 3,000 men. He doesn't have his bodyguard. Guys, this is our chance. God has delivered him into our hands. Somebody go get David, right? And often we find ourselves thinking like that. They got David, and David arose, and that word in the Hebrew means he rose not just casually, but with a purpose, with intent to act. David picks up a, a knife maybe, maybe it's a sword, maybe it's Goliath's sword. He picks up a weapon. And we know later in the text, and we're going to read this in a little bit, that Saul, at least some of his men, if not all of them, wanted him, were encouraging David, exhorting him to kill Saul. This is our chance. Look at what Saul's done to you. He's tried to come after you. He's literally trying to kill you. You are justified in doing this. God has given him into your hands. They quote, Here is the day the which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to it as it seems good to you. David doesn't kill Saul. But he gets up, and with his weapon, he stealthily, I don't know how he does this without Saul noticing, he cuts his corner off the robe and like, runs back into the innermost part of the cave. He literally cut a corner. And you're like, what's the big deal about that? Well, look at verse 5. After he cuts the corner of Saul's robe, David, who is a giant slayer, a giant killer, who is obviously like ninja-like skills because he can do this without Saul noticing while he's relieving himself, but he's not a king slayer. And afterwards, these next four words in, my, in, this ver, in the ESV version strike my heart. Afterwards, David's heart struck him. David was convicted by God that he had just sinned. In his heart, David was convicted that the action that he had just taken against an adversary, against one who has tried to kill him multiple times, who is ongoingly trying to kill him, was wrong was sinful while the words of the crowd of david's men were like kill him you can do it's right look at god's word it's sort of distortedly justified the word of god said differently how do we know that because david himself says that verse six he said to his men the lord forbid that i should do this thing right who should forbid it the lord So the words of the Lord forbid something that the words of the man were encouraging. How many of us are facing a scenario like that in our life? And, And when we come to that crossroads, who are you listening to right now? Who are you following? The word of the Lord forbid it. We have a book. God wrote it. The Holy Spirit. 66 books. All inspired. Our absolute truth. Are you listening to it? Are you looking to it? Are you following it? Or are you listening to the words of the crowd? And sometimes the words of the crowd are confusing because they might be well-meaning like David's men were, but it still wasn't the word of the Lord. Are you taking action before you go to the Lord and actually ask God if that's what he wants you to do? The scenario has presented itself, God, do you want me to take his life or no? Or are you just acting on impulse, targets of opportunity? Because that's when our flesh rages. The words of the crowd were loud in David's ears. Come on, David, let's do this. They fed into his, David was tired of running. David didn't understand why he was on the run. David was tired of having spears thrown at him, swords flared at him. And maybe you're tired of the opposition of the culture, your workplace, your home, and you just feel tempted to cut a corner like David did. But even, even in David's cutting a corner, he realized that he was wrong. Now, when you, and you read your Bible, you'll see in verse 6, this, there's like Lord with capital, that's referring to God, Yahweh. When you see Lord with lowercase l, that's referring to the position of king. Now, while David did not respect or admire really the person, Saul was trying to kill him. He was a sinner. He was wrong. He respected the position that God had him in. It was not David's job to take Saul out. Now, it's one thing when you kill somebody in combat. It's another thing when you kill someone from behind who is defenseless. That's murder. And murder is wrong. You don't respond to one person's sin with a sin of your own and then justify it and rationalize it. We are still held to a higher standard, the word of God, the words of Christ as his disciples. David's heart was struck with conviction. David was not perfect. Another humanizing moment here. David's not perfect, but he was pursuing because as soon as his heart was struck in verse five, what did he do? He confessed it and he repented immediately. Are you and I, as soon as a conviction from the Lord strikes to your heart, are you quickly confessing? Are you quickly repenting? Or are you doing other stuff that we'll cover in a little bit? Are you delaying? Are you just shoving it in a corner where you're not really thinking about it anymore? Are you just moving on? David didn't just repent. He discipled. He said, Lord forbid I should do this thing to my Lord, meaning the the king that God had anointed, that God had put, yes, God had already anointed David, but he hadn't removed Saul yet. Scripture teaches us that it's up to God to remove kings and to install them. It's not up to man. how dare I do this thing against my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him? He had disrespected him and he disrespected God in that. Are you doing that right now? Trust me, I get it, that there are bosses, that there are politicians that you might not agree with, but scripture teaches that God has allowed them to be in a certain position. Are you treating them with the respect that God has allowed in that position? Doesn't mean that you're choosing to sin. But are you justifying your sin against them because you think because of their sin against you? We will all be held to give an account one day. We must trust and turn to the word of the Lord over the word of the crowd and over the word of the culture. David in this moment had an immediate course correction. Will you have immediate course corrections? Where do you in your life do you need to confess your sin and repent of it? To listening to the crowd, to acting against God in a sinful way. Look, there are, there are non-sinful ways to act. We can vote and advocate and do all these things. Absolutely. But are you in a sinful way responding to difficult situations in your life? That's the corner that David is cutting right now. Are you cutting that corner in your life? David didn't just realign his heart. We see him realigning his heart with the word of the Lord, right? Heaven forbid, Lord forbid that I do this thing. He is realigning his heart under the authority of the word of God. As disciples, you and I are men and women who are called to live under authority and our flesh doesn't like it, does it? Mine doesn't, maybe yours is better. My flesh rejects that, rebels against that. I don't want to submit one of the gravest realities I believe in the modern church is that there are a lot of people sitting in churches that think that they are believers and they believe intellectually that Jesus is the son of God and that God raised him from the dead but they, and they think they're believers but you, they have yet to truly submit their heart and life to Jesus as Lord which means he's boss and I'm not. I proactively do it his way. I seek his word, I understand it, and I obey it. And there comes the personal relationship. Or else there will be a long line, like Jesus says in Matthew, of people that come to him. And when, he's, when we have an account, when we have to give an account, and we say, I did this, I gave this, I served there, I went on this mission trip, I served the kids ministry, I gave tithing, I did this, I went to church every day of my life. And Jesus will say, get away from me because I never what? Knew you. I didn't have a personal relationship with you as Lord because you never truly submitted and surrendered your heart where it mattered most. Friends, don't let that be you. And if it is, you repent and turn to God today authentically. Look, in the David's life where none of us are perfect, but we are all called to be pursuing with a heart that says, I want to surrender my heart under the authority of God's word. No matter what it says, no matter if it's easy, no matter if it's hard, no matter if I understand it, I like it, culture agrees with it, on the word of God, I will stand and I trust God with the rest. That's our pursuit here. I fall short of that and I need to repent of that often because it's a holistic, how I interact with my family, how I deal with circumstances, how I respond to hard stuff, how we interact in the church, right? None of us get it perfect. David didn't get it perfect here, but he quickly repented and then he discipled those that were with him. He didn't just say, okay, I'm not going to do it because I'm personally convicted, but guys, if you want to go take out Saul, feel free. No, he said, no, this is God's word. None of us should do this, and he did not allow them. He verbally persuaded him, and then he used his his authority God given him to stop them from sinning. Will you do that with those in your life? You can't control them, but will you invest in them and infuse in them the reality of the word of God, or are you just washing your hands of the situation? Not my responsibility. Yes, it is. You can't control them. But when God gives you the opportunity to lovingly, graciously speak God's truth into them and allow and say, your decisions need to be anchored in the word of God, the word of Christ, not the word of culture, not the word of the crowd, We have a God-given model right here from David and responsibility as his disciples to do that. Are you doing that in a loving, gracious, respectful, patient way, right? Not like I'm better than you. No, but like, have you, are you anchoring your decision in God's word? Have you prayed about it? What's the text for what you're about to do? What is the source? I don't know. I just feel like it. It's not about your feelings. It's about your faith. Where in your life are you cutting the corner of not going to God's word as the anchor for your decisions or cutting the corner of not using the positions of influence like David did that God has positioned you and to disciple those around you to point them to God's word, even in difficult situations. Because in David not doing this, it means his life was still going to be hard, right? It would have been so much easier to take Saul out in so many ways. I can go home again. I can get a good night's sleep again. I can rest again. I don't have to worry if I'm going to die. And his men were thinking the exact same way. And maybe you're thinking that way at work. If I were to only do that, or at home, or in this relationship. But it's not about the easy way. It's about living God's way. Amen. That's our calling as a disciple. That's Jesus right before that he went to the cross saying, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, but whose be done? God's. That's the heart of a disciple. Is that your heart? That's a declaration of a disciple. Will you do that? We are called to be people under authority. Yes, it's countercultural. Yes, it's counterfleshly. Yes, it's hard. But that's the beauty of it. Because that's the key and the gateway to living the life that you were created to live, to experiencing the joy and the peace that only God can give. We need to prioritize over being holy over being hasty. David showed mercy and grace to Saul in the same way that God shows mercy and grace to us. David demonstrated both the reality that he wasn't perfect, but he was pursuing. He was immediately willing to course correct our you. He publicly apologized to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this. Public sin requires public repentance. He showed the why. Why am I not going to kill Saul? Because God's word says I shouldn't. May we disciple our kids. May we disciple our, and those in our friends, May in our small groups, in our discipleship groups, in our workplaces. Why are you doing this? Let me tell you, because God's word says X, Y, Z. Point into to Jesus' words. And then trust God with the rest. And pray a whole lot. Follow Christ over the crowd and point the crowd to Christ. Sometimes the crowd is well-meaning. David's men were well-meaning. They were but they just didn't have their spiritual discernment meter was off. Sometimes the crowd is harm intending. Sometimes it's in between. But as disciples, we're called to love like God, look to God, and lead others to God. Even when the crowd is loud, we must listen to God first and Christ first. The Lord has to be more than our logic. We have to trust him. I don't, if I don't do this, how's God going to meet? You got to trust the character of God. You got to trust the promise. David had the promise that God was going to make him king. Logic said, take Saul out now. David said, no. Trust the Lord. Look to the Lord. David could have calloused his heart and compromised and cut a corner with his integrity. Like many of us do. But what are three reasons, three often common excuses why those of us often fall short of following Christ and live in sinful disobedience? So the first is this, deflections. David could have easily said, I cut the corner here because my men told me to do it, right? I'm deflecting the areas of responsibility and accountability, Where are you doing that in your life? I'm doing this because culture told me to do this, because politicians voted to do this, because my friends at school encouraged me to do this. No, that's what is Christ telling you to do? That goes all the way back to the beginning of time, right? It's the first excuse ever. Adam, why'd you eat this fruit? I don't know. Eve made me do it. Own it. Confess it. Repent of it. And then pursue Christ in it. Allow, as we confess our sins, God's faithful and just, 1 John 1, 9, to heal us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Trust that. And if we're not deflecting it, often we're rationalizing it. Rationalizations are erroneous excuses, right? David could have easily gone, it could have been worse. I could have killed him. All I did was cut the corner of his robe. What's the big deal? Right? Where are you doing that in your life? Sin is sin. No matter how big or how small, sin is sin, and every single sin requires a death penalty. Praise God for his grace. Third, erroneous excuse, justifications. Saul's trying to kill me. like He's literally trying to kill me. That makes this okay. No, it doesn't. Because our actions are not to be predicated on the actions or words of man, but on the word of God. How do I know what God wants me to do? Go to his word. The will of God is the word of God. The will of God is the word of God. The will of God is the word of God. Go to the biblical community. David's men needed, needed David to point them to the word of God, just like you and I need those in our discipling groups and our small groups to point people to the word of God. I need that in my life. You need it in your life. Are you seeking wise biblical counsel around you? Hey, this situation has been presented. What should I do? Well, this is what God's word says. Then pray about it. Friends, some of us need to change our perspective. Are you going to go to God's word for everything in your life and obeying him overall in your life? Or are you currently acting out of your own fleshly impulses, the word of the crowd, and the word of culture? God's way is rarely the easy way, but it's always the right and the best way. The second everyday declaration of a disciple is this, is not only do I need to look to the words of Christ, but I need to look to the Christ himself as a model. I will look to Christ for direction, not my circumstances. I will look to Christ for my direction, not my circumstances. Many of us in this room go, God provided this opportunity, so obviously it must be from God. Well, maybe your interpretation of the circumstance in your life is off. As believers and those seeking to follow Christ, it can be easy to come times confuse our circumstances or our longings with the will of God. Here, David longed to be rid of Saul. He didn't want Saul chasing him anymore. How do we know that? David himself wrote that. On your own, read Psalm 54, which David had written just days prior to this encounter. He says, oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer give ear to the words of my mouth. This is Psalm 54. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Again, they're sinning. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is my upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies and your faithfulness to put an end to them. With the will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every tribal, for my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. David wanted vindication from those pursuing him and and he could have easily looked at his circumstance and goes, this is my opportunity. God wants me to take him out. But God didn't want to do that. Again, killing Saul in cold blood would be murder. It would be wrong and it would be sin. How many of us would take Saul's vulnerable posture here in the cave as a sign of God's vindication? And you might go, I would never kill anybody. Let me ask you this. Imagine these scenarios. I have a deep desire to be happy. We all do. We really sometimes confuse happiness with joy, but maybe a happy, God wants me to be happy. We think in our head in this relationship. So because person X makes me happy, I begin to compromise on the biblical standard. Sir, a believer should not marry a non-believer. Or I begin to compromise on physical actions with this other person. Because... I think I deserve to be X. Or maybe I get my paycheck and I'm happy to walk into Best Buy. Oh, look, this 80-inch TV's on sale. I've wanted this. I just got a paycheck. Therefore, I should get this because the circumstances, God clearly put this on sale for me, right? (laughs) No, but now I can't tithe. Now I can't do this. Like we allow our circumstances often to dictate our view on the word and the will of God. In the Dominican Republic, they have this saying called aprovechar. It means this. It means if I were to leave my phone or camera on a bench and I go play basketball or I go hang out with kids or whatever, and someone else comes up and they see it, they take it and they don't feel like it's wrong because they go, I've been wanting a new phone and it's right here. Obviously, God's provided it for me, right? The circumstances here, now stealing is wrong. It's not theirs. But they're viewing the circumstance as God's answer to their prayer. Now, yes, sometimes God absolutely uses circumstances to confirm his will and confirm his action. Praise God for that, right? But we can't, without going to God, think that the circumstance is automatically from God. To act in a certain way. We must continue to not cut corners by looking to the action of Christ. We can't allow our circumstance to drive and determine our actions, but we must allow Christ to drive and determine our actions in the circumstance. Because sometimes I think the corners that we cut are, I want to know more of the will of God so I can live for God. But you know what? I'm busy. Life got hard, so what do I cut? I cut out my Bible reading. I cut out going to small group. I cut out going to church. I cut out living in biblical community. I cut out my prayer time. I'm cutting corners because life is pinching me, and all of a sudden I am wandering away from the word and the will of God. you cutting those corners right now? Come back. You can't know the will of God outside of the word of God. The written word of God, the verbally spoken word of God that you hear in your prayer time, Sometimes God speaks a word through those biblical community around you. What corners are you cutting? If we know that the, will, the model of the life of Jesus Christ and the words of Jesus Christ and the words of the totality of scripture are the will of God, are the driving force for our life, why are you cutting this part out of your life and trying to live life apart from Jesus and wondering why you're in a ditch? Why it's hard why you're giving in more to culture. Where's your anchor? God is calling us to elevate the bar, not lower it, to pursue perfection, pursue Jesus. Jesus, David's in a situation where there's tension between his carnal flesh and God's clear direction. Maybe you're finding that way too. God wants us to do always the harder right biblical thing than the easier wrong thing. How do we do this? Well, Paul writes in Romans 12, 2, how do we know the will of God? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. How do I know the will of God? I renew my mind daily in the word. What do I do in this decision? Let me go to God's word. That's what renewing is. It's like you're on the computer and you get the spiral of death, right? I can't function. i got to reset. Many of us need to reset our minds, reset our hearts on the priority of God's word. I need to get out of my mind, the culture, word of culture, the model of culture, and I need to get in my mind and my heart the model of Christ and the words of Christ. And then I'll know what the will of God is as I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. Will you do that? Are you doing that? 2 Peter 1, 3 says the reality that all we need for life and godliness is found in God's word. All that you need is found in God's word. We don't have to act like the world. We might choose to, but we don't have to. The power of sins been broken, Romans 6 says. May we live for Christ. Obeying Christ is costly. It might cost you something. It might cost you everything. But it's always the best way. We need to recognize our areas of vulnerability of when we often cut corners, Right? We are very susceptible to cut corners in life when we're tired, when we're hurt, when we're grieving, when we're burnt out, when we've drifted, when there's pressures in our life from work or from church or from family, when we're allowing the fear of man to run our life, when we're stuck on people-pleasing, when we're seeking to satisfy the world and not find our satisfaction in Christ, we need to change our perspective back to the model of Christ to do what the author of Hebrews says and run to Christ, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 he says, "'Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, friends, we have people that have gone before us, like David, who model us what it's like to live for Christ.'" let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely I want you to understand this reality right here friends that yes we're to throw off the sin but we're also supposed to throw off the weight sometimes weight isn't sinful it's just weight it's the heaviness of decisions in our life the heaviness of grief in our life the heaviness of pressures in our life and Jesus says to all of us bring those to me because my yoke is easy my burden is light come to me all who are heavy laden I will give you rest look to Christ not the circumstance. So as we throw off this weight and sin which e clings so closely, let us run, not walk, run with endurance the race that is set before. It's not going to be easy. We need to build up our endurance over time. Let's look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He didn't just start our faith. He continues to strengthen us and will work into full completion in us. Praise God. Amen. For the joy set before him endured the cross. I don't find a cross joyful, do you? But Jesus did. I don't find the trials I walk through often joyful, but Jesus found the cross joyful because he knew the end result with reunified relationship between you and I vertically with God and horizontally with others. There was no other way. Jesus chose the hard way. Who for the joy set before him desp- endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, look to him, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. A declaration of a disciple is I will press on in the power of God. Amen. I am experiencing this, wait, unfair treatment. Jesus did too. The author of Hebrews and Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest that has not gone through what you are walking through. He knows what you're walking through. He is acquainted with grief and he is a man of sorrows. He has been unjustly accused. He has been killed and murdered and he committed no wrong and he did that for you and I because we couldn't pay our price, praise God, Amen. So that when we are called to bear things from others that aren't our fault, we can roll them off to God and say, God, help. And in the grace of God, reflect the gospel of God and lean on the mercy and grace that we need in our time of need. Because in Hebrews four sixteen it also says this beautiful reality that we have an intermediary named Jesus and that we can go to his throne Since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our declaration that I am a devoted follower of Jesus. Let us hold fast to the commitments and the convictions of the Bible and the cross, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets what you're walking through. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin and let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Amen? What a promise. You need mercy and grace today? Come to the cross. Run to the Father. He's there with arms wide open. He just says, come. Look to Christ, not your circumstances, to live God's way instead of the easy way because God's way is the best way. He's always working. He's always, at, he's always pursuing your best. Life is hard, but God will continue to move and God will continue to work. He is working to perfect you to make yourself more like Jesus. And if we say that that is the number one goal in our life, often God will use trials in our life to do that. He says so in James chapter one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of every kind, because those produce, produce, Sanctification, ultimately leading to your perfection, lacking nothing that we can endure under as God develops our perseverance. Praise him for that. Where do you need to look to Jesus in your life as a model? Where do you need to look to the cross? What you're going through is hard. I know it is. The cross was hard. God knows what it's like to lose a child. God knows what it's like to see a loved one unfairly treated. Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked and scorned by the culture for standing up what is right. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by someone close to him after investing three years of their life into him. Jesus knows what you're going through. He sees your pain and he holds you in the palm of his righteous right hand, not later, but now, will you look to him so that you won't grow weary? And when we look and take our eyes off of Jesus, we sink like Peter in the water. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, no matter how big the waves are, we can stand. No matter how unconventional the circumstances, Peter stood on water in a storm. We can weather the storm as we anchor in Christ, as we look to Christ. Where are your eyes? Where do you need to change your perspective? Where are your ears? Who are you listening to? The third and final declaration from this text is this of a disciple. I will let the Lord be my judge. I will let the Lord be judge, not me. Look with me if you would at the verses 8 through 22. Afterwards, David also arose and he went out of the cave and he called after Saul. My Lord, the king. Again, little L, Lord. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. David's a man of humility. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Saul's listening to the crowd. David's listening to Christ. Big difference. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hands in the cave. And some some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of the robe in my hand, your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no reason or treason in my hand. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you and may my hand... May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As a proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do we pursue? Do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you. See to it and plead my case and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord had put you into my hand, me into your hands. For if a man fun, finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you this, with good for what you have done to me this day. And now... Behold, I know that you surely will be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul, and then Saul went home, but David went up with his men to the stronghold. Isn't it interesting there at the end that, yes, they are making some temporary peace. It won't hold, but David still doesn't trust Saul. He went up to the stronghold. When you forgive someone, when you pursue peace with them, doesn't mean that you're naturally going to continue to trust them. After Saul was done relieving himself, David allowed some distance and then interacted with him as he left the cave. Again, David respects the position of the king. He literally bowed down. There's a heart of humility that allows us to follow God faithfully, even if he didn't respect the person. He's like, why are you trying to kill me? Why are you listening to the crowd? David demonstrates to Saul that he isn't out to kill him, and Saul has a little bit of a heart that turns. Isn't it amazing that when we trust God's word and stand for God's word, God uses it even for the slightest moments in the hands of those, in the hearts of those that are opposed to him? God worked in Saul's heart in this moment. Even if it didn't last, we are called to entrust God with with the outcome. Verse 12 and 15, it says, may the Lord be the judge between you and me. David says, it is not my job to take revenge. We live in a culture that says, dog eat dog, eye for an eye, I will, you do this to me, I'm gonna do worse to you. I will step on you, step over you, and push you down so I can succeed. The way of the cross, the way the Bible says differently. It says, trust to God, vengeance. Trust to God, the future. Are you doing that? Saul responds and, and recognizes David. Saul admits that he knows David will eventually be king, but something becomes very, very clear. While David is focused on the name of God, Saul in the latter verses of this text is very clear. He's focused on his own name. Don't take my name out of the history books. Make sure my family and I is preserved. Saul continues to reveal that his heart is focused on self. David continues to reveal that his heart is focused on a savior. Where's your heart focused? One that ta- allows the Lord to be judged is focused completely on God and our Lord as opposed to ourself our conduct and our circumstances reveals our character. What is your conduct, the words that you're saying, how you use your time, your money, your energy, your actions revealing about your character right now, your convictions right now, what you type in a text or a post or an email, how you respond when people are offensive against you, how you make decisions about the future that lies in front of you. It's all revealing of what the priority is to you. Is it yourself or your Savior? It's not too late to turn back and repent. David resisted the shortcut to the throne and he entrusted God's way. He could have been sitting on the throne by the end of the day if he had taken out Saul. Some of us are looking for shortcuts to God's promises in our life. Sometimes God gives us a promise without the timetable. We need to trust him in that. We need to wait patiently. You're like, how do I wait patiently? Well, patience is the fruit of the spirit, is it not? not. We wait patiently for God as we are filled by the Spirit of God. Where's your heart seeking? Who is your heart looking to? What situations in your life, like David, do we need to entrust to God to be the judge and not ourselves? We need to stop working harder to advance ourselves and we need to start worshiping more. We can trust God. How do we entrust our situations to God? Paul writes this in Romans 12, three steps in trusting God with our situations. Number one, rejoice in hope. This is Romans 12, 12. Friends, whatever you're walking through right now, you can rejoice in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? No matter what you're walking through, we have hope in the name of Jesus. And we have a reason to praise and worship. Number two, be patient in tribulation. Don't try to, look, I don't like trials as much as you do, but I trust that God is working in them and through them. I had to learn and grow. I still don't get this right a lot. Often we need to be patient and endure because God is working and there's things that we only reveal. He only works in us in the crisis in a way that he could not when the seeds are calm. Be patient in tribulation. How do we be patient? We cling to the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not try harder, it's pray more. Third, be constant in prayer. What are the things in your life that you need to be constant in prayer, about? Not, not infrequent, but constant, fervent, unceasing prayer? Not a pillar on a wall, but a priority in your heart. What things in your life are you trying to take into your own hands right now that you need to surrender to God right now, not tomorrow, but right now? with things in your life out of impatience that you're compromising in a dating relationship. I want to be married. I want to have this in a relationship. So I'm going to compromise. Don't compromise, friends. God's enough. And I I know that that can be really hard to hear, but God's enough. I I feel like I deserve this financial status, so I'm going to cut a corner at work. I'm going to fudge my hours in a timesheet. I'm going to make my tax return look like it, maybe shouldn't because I've worked hard enough and I'm not getting rewarded enough and God wants me, no, God wants you to be honest. He wants you to be a person of integrity and trust him. I'm just, I'm a, I want to get back at this person and get them out of my life because of all the hard stuff that they're doing so I'm gonna go about it in a sinful way. Don't compromise. Don't get impatient. Allow God to work Because while the potential of impatience seems promising, the results are never satisfying and always soul-crushing. My own name means Daniel, means God is my judge. My dad has reminded me of that every day in my life. Who are you looking to? Who are you finding your identity in? Guys, we're most often to take matters into our own hands when we don't truly trust and believe in God's sovereignty. In every situation in your life right now, even in the hard ones, are you trusting in the sovereignty of God? that he knows you and he knows your situation, that he's with you? Or are you trying to tell God that you know better by taking it into your own hands? We often are tempted to take matters into our own hands when we're not convinced of the love of God, that you are loved no matter what. Meditate on Romans chapter eight, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, that you don't need to seek love from humans that can only be found in God. We are tempted to take matters into our own hands when we're often still at the center of our own lives, like Saul, are you at the center of your own life right now if you're really, really, really honest? I think we all are in certain situations, but what are those situations that you need to repent of right now in turn? And finally, I'm, I'm often most tempted to take matters into my own hands when I'm not truly satisfied or have anchored my identity in Jesus. I let the world define me as opposed to Jesus. So when you're tempted to cut a corner this week, and you will be, when you're tired or think you deserve something that you're not getting, Remember God's unconditional love. Remember God's absolute sovereignty. Remember that there is nothing and no one that can separate you from the love of God. Remember that Jesus is enough. Ask yourself, why and where am I doubting God's faithfulness and sovereignty in my life? Where am I looking for for sufficiency that can only be found in Jesus? Remember God's character, David does. Renew your mind in God's promises, David does. Rest in God's sovereignty, David does. And then act. What does it look like to act? Here are some practical aspects of the discipleship. And I I encourage you to read Romans 12 on your own. But here are some ways that Paul teaches us with how to interact with others in our life. So Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, and the headline of this is Marks of a True Question. You could also say declarations of a disciple. Bless those who persecute you. Saul is persecuting David. Others are persecuting you. Are you blessing them? Or are you, do, not, uh, do not curse them. Starting in verse 14 of Romans chapter 12, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I'm so thankful for a church that does that well. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We see David doing that as he bows before Saul who was trying to kill him. He was giving honor to the position that God had put him in. Are you willing to do that to those in your life, even when it's hard? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all is there someone or something in your life that you can take an additional step to pursue peace you can't guarantee it peace is a two-way street but peace internally in you you will have peace as you do as much as is possible for you you can't control what other people react and i was even convicted of something about that yesterday personally and take an action step okay and entrust it to god beloved never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Where in your life do you need to live that out this week? Where in your life do you need to choose to live that way? That is letting God be the judge and not yourself. Who are some adversaries in your life that you need to actually maybe bring him lunch this week? And I just want you to know that God loves you. And they'll be like, What? praying for you, care for you. Where in your life have you been seeking vengeance, repaying evil for evil, where on the contrary right now you need to offer a drink of water and cold in the name of Jesus. Where in your life you need to look to Christ to be strengthened, look to his word to find the will of God, and to choose to act, allow God to lead you and guide you? Would you take out your communion cups right now? Because like David, when he committed an action and he was convicted of the heart, immediately he repented. We give mercy to others because God has first given mercy to us, amen? That when we didn't deserve it, God lavished undeserved favor on us and took away the punishment that you and I deserved. I deserve nothing but death, but God. And yes, that person in your life is giving you a very hard time but we are called not to be ambassadors of self, but in 2 Corinthians 5, as new creations, we are called to be the ambassador of Jesus Christ, God making his appeal through you. That when they see you and me, they should see the mercy and the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. That even when it got hard, we said, not my will, but yours be done. Even when we were about to be betrayed, we washed the feet of our betrayer and says, Judas eats too. And we lay it down and we let Jesus cover it and work in it and work through it for the glory of God. Out of that overflowing and unconditional love that we have received, who in your life is God calling you to show that to this week? Not because they deserve it but we are here as disciples to declare God's unconditional love to those that don't deserve it because we are continual recipients of it and we don't deserve it. The grace and the love of God takes us from adversary and it adopts us into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. It takes us from hostile to holy only through Jesus's righteousness. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift of grace. Praise God for that grace. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it with Judas in the room. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. I want you to take out the wafer and I want you to think about your heart right now. The areas of your life that you are listening to the crowd and culture over listening to Christ's words. The areas of your life that you're looking to your circumstances for guidance and not looking to Christ. The areas of your life where you are judging other people and exacting and seeking your revenge as as opposed to trusting and entrusting that situations to God. The areas of your life where you have cut corners. And I want you to lay them at the feet of Jesus right now before we take communion. I want you to ask for forgiveness. I want you to ask for repentance. I want you to confess them and trust that the grace of God is sufficient to cover them all and allow the mercy to cover you. At Harvest, we practice open communion. That means you don't have to be a member of this church, but it doesn't mean that you have to be a confessing believer of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have not made that decision before today, I pray that you would choose to make it right now. And if you have not made that decision yet, I would ask that you politely refrain from taking communion right now. Would you bow your eyes? And in the next 30 seconds or so, just spend time with God, asking the Lord to convict you of areas that you need to confess. And just like the heart of David in in verse five of chapter 24, allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart and then choose to repent immediately. To find the grace and the goodness. There's nothing that you have sinned that is so great that can outrun the grace of God. And there is never a time in our life that we outrun our need for God's grace and outgrow it. Ask God to convict you and then just confess it to him and ask his grace to cover you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, eat this in remembrance of me. Friends, would you eat this way for remembrance of Jesus Christ right now? Jesus took the cup and he passed it around, and he said, "This is my blood, which is poured out for you." He left nothing out. He left nothing in reserve. He poured it all out for you. He did not cut any corners when he went to the cross. He even prayed in the subsequent hours between that upper room and the cross. God, if there's any other way, take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. I challenge you right now before we drink this juice between you and God to make commitments to God to not cut any corners in your life. Maybe there's a situation in your life that you need to entrust to God right now. Maybe there's a a place where you're seeking the, the will of God that you need to pray and ask, God, show me in your word what you want me to do. Maybe you just need to commit to look to Christ as your model, to continue to endure and persevere for God. Have the strength to not compromise, to commit to get back in the word, get back in biblical community, to get back in living the way that God's called you to do so we can live as a true disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ. We just prayerfully pray for God and make those commitments to God right now and then we will take the cup together. the night he was betrayed Jesus took took the cup and he passed it around and he said when you drink this drink this in remembrance of me that this is my blood spilled and poured out for you friends would you please drink the juice in remembrance of Jesus' blood that cleanses you from every single sin in your life Father in this moment we just come to you with the gracious reality that your gospel is enough your grace is sufficient and your mercy is more God, help us to look to your word as we seek to live as a disciple. Help us to anchor in your truth and to look to your life as we seek to live as a disciple. Help us to trust and entrust situations to you, to work in whatever way glorifies you, to surrender the situation, to to surrender the results, to entrust, to rejoice with hope, to live and walk with patience because you've shown us patience. to endure and to persevere and to fervently pray for breakthrough for your power for your direction for your transformation and if there are those in this room that have never truly given their life to you and submitted their life under the authority of your position as a son of God and the authority of your word as the word of God allow them to make that decision right now for the glory of your name God To find that true joy, peace, and hope they've been searching for for a long, long time. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. God, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.